In order to get to a million dollars a year, you can find 1 million people to purchase a $1 product, 100,000 people to purchase a $100 product, 10,000 people to purchase a $1,000 product, 1,000 people to purchase a $10,000 product, or just 10 people to purchase a $100,000 product. And when I first broke down and looked at these numbers, I initially thought it would be way easier to find 1 million people to sign up for a $1 product deal. However, I now know that you can actually do less by finding and providing value to just 10 people with a $100,000 product. I am Shanice Miller, and welcome to my podcast, Do Less. Yes, that's right, Do Less. It used to be cool to work 60 hours a week, but the world has gotten smarter and realized why spend more time to make the same or less money. I help small business owners build systems and processes to help them scale and find more time for themselves and their families. I'm going to provide you the best practices and all the tools and tips to scale your business. Welcome to my show. So today I'm bringing Mitchell on the show to share his experience and thoughts behind his desire to get bigger clients with larger contracts. Mitchell is a experienced director, creator, and content strategist that has created content for brands such as Sony, Spotify, HBO, Colgate, and more. He is also the founder of Creative Haven, a podcast and media production company that helps businesses grow with engaging video content, which is why I wanted him to share his journey with you. So Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro. I love the, I love the stats in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Mitchell, I'm now curious because you want to get the larger contracts. How much are the mm-hmm. contracts you're currently getting? The contracts that I'm currently getting right now, they range from like the 15 to 25K range. Nice. And those are like, they're good. I mean, they're, they're great, but it's again, it's the um, cost of goods sold would usually go up to maybe uh, 70% or 60%. Um, when I have lower contracts, let's say around 10,000, I like to keep it around the 50% to 60% range because you also want to include the 20% or at least the 15% agency fee, uh, which goes towards administrative, um, my time as executive producer and other things that go into running the project. Um, but yeah, during the, I mean, honestly, for the past you know year or two, it's really been around the 15 to 25,000. Okay. So I'm sure you didn't start there. So what were you initially charging when you first started off? Yeah, so I'll give you my whole um, uh, journey of becoming a uh, executive producer and a director. I started off really doing a lot of YouTube videos. I created a um, YouTube video, a YouTube channel with my friends. And I'm, I'm, I have a background in filmmaking. I'm a filmmaking. I'm a film major from UC Santa Barbara. When I graduated, I started working in the film industry. I was working in the film industry. I was a literary manager. And for years, I thought it was the job for me and I was going to make it. But I wasn't really um, uh, fond of the industry. It was a very toxic and very um, superficial uh, community that really burnt me out. So I started a YouTube channel on the side to really focus my attention back on creativity rather than just trying to sell other people's projects or going out for drinks. Mm -hmm. And that YouTube channel grew to a point where we had, you know, millions of views. We had, we were making money every single month. And I was making more money from that YouTube channel than my full-time job. And I realized this is going to be a future in YouTube. 
So during that time, I quit and I was still a producer. So I have a filmmaking background. And so I know about the cinematic fundamentals and the history of film and how films are made, but I never picked up a camera. So for a lot of people out there in filmmaking, there's a difference between the director, the producer, and the camera operator and a director of photography. And so those are all different departments. I think nowadays we're so used to the videographer or the one person band who walks around and does all the writing, editing, producing, directing, and shooting themselves. Um, so I didn't know how to shoot because I wanted to be a director. So I had, we were creating this YouTube channel, we were building it, we had our own camera operators. And there was one time where I couldn't hire my camera operator or couldn't work with someone. So I had to shoot myself. And so I borrowed a friend's camera and started filming and I liked it. So I bought a Canon T3i and a Tamron 24 to 70 lens. I got very, very specific for everyone out there who's a video creator. And I just started shooting for my YouTube channel. Then from there, my YouTube channel was getting sponsors from people like Red Bull and Monster. So we, I started shooting just breakdancing videos for Red Bull and Monster. Then uh, I started. So that's how you initially got started with getting contracts for what you're doing now. Exactly. Okay. It's because I had a following on YouTube. At the same time, what I did was that I uh, used that, um, used the information that I gained from, you know, building a YouTube channel and also uh, my past portfolio with Red Bull and Monster to tell other brands that, hey, I've helped build a YouTube channel with my friends and I have a, you know, a portfolio and a reel over here. I can do this for you. I'm going to start doing your videos for free. So I started doing free videos with a few brands within the breakdancing community. Then from there, I started just approaching a lot of companies um, to do $500 videos. Yeah. And this was like my sweet spot was a $500 video. Look and how so, far we've come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to 10, 10x that, if not 20x that. Um, and it's difficult because, you know, with $500, you know, you can do as a, as a videographer, you can, you can live off, off that. It's, it's when you start scaling and you also want to, um, work with bigger clients to really improve your reel. $500 doesn't really cut it because filmmaking and video production is a team sport. Mm -hmm. But that was the, the genesis was really being a filmmaker who felt stifled in the Hollywood industry, created a YouTube channel to feel more creative had to end up learning how to use a camera because I couldn't hire a camera operator, loved filming and shooting, bought my own camera, then started shooting for sponsors from my YouTube channel. Then I used my knowledge from the YouTube channel building and also the um, portfolio from these brands to pitch to other companies. And then from there, that's when I started my first group of clients. Wow, that is truly amazing. So you started at zero, <laughs> charging zero, yeah. doing stuff for free. You bumped it up to 500, got the courage, because that takes courage to say like, oh yeah, my price is now this. And then mm -hmm. now you're at that 20 grand, $10,000 mark, and now you wanna bump it up even further. So where what's the vision that you see for where you wanna get to for the bigger clients? Yeah, so, um... Lately, I've been producing for my friend's production company, and one of our clients is actually a big Amazon brand. Um, and so the budgets that I've been seeing have been in the six-figure range. So mm -hmm. I recently just directed a video um, in February, which was about $150,000 for 
the shoot and I think 30,000 for post or 30 or 50 even post. So between 150 to $200,000. And that was amazing because I was able to utilize a huge team in order for me to execute my vision and the client's vision without me having to stress about the, the micro level of things. Like what is the, what, what are we going to be ordering for the catering for lunch for this shoot? Or, you know, even from insurance and location scouting, all these little things, I had a team around me. And that was very, very helpful and refreshing. And why was that so important that you had that team around you? Just dig a little bit deeper there. Yeah, yeah. The um, Again, as a traditional filmmaker, we are, we're always learning about the different departments in a film production. And so in a film production, you have the camera department, which would have the camera operator, director of photography, and then assistant camera, grip, gaffer, and the list goes on. Same goes with wardrobe. Then you have your art department, you know, production designer and whatnot. Then you have your makeup and hair. Then you also have your producers, your line producer, production manager, executive producer, and whatever other producers you want to add on top of that. Then you have the director. Then the director has either his or her assistant director and also um, any other, uh, you know, supplemental or, um, you know, uh, roles that would really help the director. And to me, why it was important to have a team around me was that I actually felt like it was shooting a film and I had the people around me to execute the vision and also do the things that I aren't, I'm not good at. I mean, I, I, I honestly would want to keep myself within the director's chair and the producing chair and I'm not good at makeup. I'm not good at wardrobe. I'm not great at production design. I don't do well with electricity to be a, you know, a grip. I, all of that, it's good to have a team of specialized experts to help you create the product because you don't have all of those tasks falling on your shoulders. And how did it used to feel when you had all of those tasks falling on your shoulders? Uh, it was, it was um, stressful because the amount of work that goes into producing a video on that level requires a team and if not a lot of time. And when you, during the days where I was shooting for YouTube or I was filming, you know, my $500 videos or my free videos, there was an expectation I would have to put out there to my clients that you're not getting a $1 million commercial, you're getting a digital ad. Although there is going to be some quality behind it to a degree because of the uh, limitations we have with the budget. So I think that being at that level and being able to handle all aspects of production. Production gave me this skill set that allowed me to talk to these departments in the future and during this time so that I can have some rapport and some relatability between me and the camera person and the wardrobe and the art department and the producers. Because I know I've been in those shoes before, not in makeup, but <laughs> in, in I, I don't know how to do makeup in, in hair. So that's definitely something I have to hire someone for. But because I know a lot about lenses and lighting um, and, and um, camera work and cameras, I'm able to talk to the camera department in a way where they feel like they could trust me. And I'm not just cr- asking them to do something without any intention or any any thought behind it. So that's why it's very helpful, I believe, in the beginning to really take on a lot of the tasks and roles yourself. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that in the beginning. Um, But then from there, as you start delegating, you'll start finding 
your lane or your skill set or the role that really speak to you and what you're really good at in order for you to let other people who are smarter than you handle the other aspects of your business that's going to help you grow. Except for the makeup part <laughs> in the hair exactly design. For the makeup part. I mean, you never know. I mean, down the line, if I have to, you know, learn that, I bet you, you know what? I don't, I, I don't, give me, give me a few months. Maybe I could do a really good, you know, mascara. No, because, you know, we really want you to stay in your lane. I think you've definitely find, found your zone of genius and where you definitely fit in and everything. And I mean, you know, me and exactly what I was talking about in the beginning that when trying to do all of the things, you're just doing so much more and mm -hmm. doing less just really allows you to provide that more valuable service. So, and you can charge more and get, do less, have less clients um, for those same services that you're offering, not be so stressed out, not have to worry about everything, coordinating everything yourself. So I can definitely see that benefit. What have you tried so far to get the larger contracts? Yeah, so I've I've done a lot of reflection on the past couple of years of how I've gotten clients such as HBO, Sony, and how was that? Uh, Colgate referrals. These are all through referrals and my friends who have either they have their own agencies, their own production companies, or loved working with me so much that they referred me to either someone at a Sony or a Spotify or um, a agency or another production company. So a lot of the big, I would say the bigger contracts come from close, uh, close uh, personal relationships as well as referrals and introductions. It, 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 I think that there are times where I thought it came from LinkedIn outreach and uh, Google and Facebook ads Although because of the nature of the contract and the type of clients I'm trying to target, it doesn't, I'm not going to land a million dollar deal from a Facebook ad uh, just because just my target audience is B2B. I'm looking for CMOs and I just know for a fact that you're not going to make million dollar decisions scrolling through Facebook and looking at an ad on Instagram. Um, I have just learned a lot from my friends who are in the production world and agency world. It's, it's been a lot of referrals, um, networking, connections, asking friends, family, colleagues. There's a lot of different clients out there and not, actually a lot of people that I've met through friends and colleagues that have led to these bigger projects. Yes, I I completely um, agree with you, especially in the realm and the field that you're in and the area that you're going into, like some of those um, referrals are definitely going to be the best bet to get your foot in the door. In order to really charge or to feel like you're charging more, I'm sure your mind had to go through a lot of different shifts. I mean, even just going mm -hmm. from the $500 shift to $25,000 and now trying to get those six-figure and possibly seven-figure clients, what are some of those mindset things that you had to change so that you could provide a higher value service to justify the amount that you're charging or wanting to charge? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, first, that I'm valuable, I'm worth it, and I'm worthy. So if we want to go into the uh, personal side of things and spiritual side of how to really validate the and justify the pricing that you propose to clients is to really know that you're worth it. So I had to look back at my experience, ask, of course, friends about my reel, and also just think about all the different 
projects that I've actually executed and provided for some top clients and know that I'm worthy and I'm worth the million dollar contract, the $100,000 contract or not. So that's like the first thing, because if you feel like you aren't worthy of a $10,000 contract, it's going to show in your pitch and the way that you talk. So if you know for a fact that, hey, I've been doing this for 20, 20 years, I've worked with these big brands, I've I've already directed commercials on a six-figure level. Here's my reel. I also have this team behind me that has executed on the, on this level as well. Then that confidence shows out in your pitch, and you have the reasons and the um, you have the reasons to really tell someone why they should hire you and your team. The second thing is also when you look at to a seven-figure budget, you have to also look into what is go- where is that going to be allocated to. It's not going to be, you know, $900,000 towards you and $100,000 towards production. You have to think about what is the cost of goods sold, also the man, the amount of people behind the production, and also what needs to be done to create something that you feel would deserve a, a budget like that. So you can't just go into a TikTok and someone's asking for a tick, some TikTok ads and say, hey, I want a million dollars for this. This doesn't make any sense. So a million dollars to me would come into a campaign. It's not just a single, you can think about a single video, maybe a a Nike type of video. We're getting, I don't know, um, LeBron James to, to, uh, you know, play basketball in a a court surrounded by a green screen. We're using drones and robot arms and CG characters and, you know, pyrotechnics, whatever it is that I can see it become a million dollar video. But if it's just going to be an interview between two people, that's not going to really, you know, justify a million dollar budget. So once I figured out the, how much a certain type of video would cost, then I know, okay, for $100,000, I believe that we can create a solid commercial. At the same time, we can create assets from that. And the third thing is, is also um, figuring out what else you can provide um, for that package, not just a single video. Is there a campaign behind it? Maybe there is, you know, multiple videos for social media and cut downs for different social media platforms. And then you have, of course, your 30 second spot, your 16 second spot, your, set, your five second spot. You have your uh, behind the scenes. You have everything. You can find different ways to value stack for all the internet marketers out there. Your offer so that you can pitch a higher budget or a higher bid to a client and. Lastly, I feel that, you know, what gives me the confidence to get to those types of budgets and to pitch those budgets, it really does come down to your team. Like being so confident in your team and also showing the client that you're surrounded by smart people and talented people. So it's not just all on you. Again, you're not going to charge $100,000 to keep $90,000. Just greedy. And also it just looks very, very um, shady and also doesn't really reflect a high budget and high quality video. So to me, having a very talented team around you would also validate the budget. So if I, my DP has worked on you know, Christopher Nolan movies or Marvel movies or TV shows, then I can say I'm hiring them for this video because I believe they'll be great and this is how much they cost. So once you have a really talented team around you, then it's going to really justify the budgets you're bidding to these clients. And in the future, even outside of video, if you are surrounded by a team that is skillful, experienced, and actually has the resume, investors and VCs and 
and people out there who are looking at your company are going to see more value in your company and your business. I love how you talked about all of that. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they're like, let's just hire the cheapest person. And you're like, no, no, no. Higher level people, people who know exactly what they're doing. They've been in this role for a long time. They're going to produce this high quality uh, high value and high quality product that we can give and we can justify this higher price point. And no, I am not getting, I'm not giving you the same uh, value or the same product that I was at the $500 level and charging you, you know, extra money and just pocketing all the rest. Like there's a value mm -hmm. add. There are extra things that you're stacking on top of and adding value, changing your messaging. So instead of just doing one video that's maybe five minutes, you're like, okay, we're doing this whole production and along with adding social media content and all of these other additional upsells to make it to that level so that you are bringing the value. The person realizes exactly what it is that they are getting this from you and mm -hmm. what it's going to mean for their organization, how it's going to help them. So just to jump back a little bit to your referrals, do you have any systems set up in place for to make sure that you are having and talking to those referrals consistently since that's the bread and butter? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because it was just today I got a text from a student of mine who contacted me asking me if I wanted to be connected to a potential client of his because the this client is asking for a video that's out of my um my students wheelhouse mm -hmm. i think i believe it's probably a little too high budget or they're asking for a lot of things that my friend can't handle and so he is introducing me to this potential client and hopefully we'll have a call tomorrow um and i think that a lot of the networking that i've done this year has really been focused around quality over quantity um I think that once you really get deep within a relationship with someone, there's more trust built rather than the shotgun approach of I'm going to send my, my, uh, you know, I'm going to go to every single networking event and give everyone my, my business card. And then not knowing what they truly do want or need in their business, then your sales pitch is a little too general. I think that I just had a recent client of mine who was just a friend. Um, last year we met at an event and We've just been hanging out as friends and he hired me to create videos for his Amazon brand. And it's a seven figure Amazon brand. I had no intention, honestly, of creating videos for him or trying to sell to him. But because of the trust built and him seeing my portfolio, him hearing my stories about how I'm building my company, how it's growing, he decided to breach that conversation. And then we had a great discussion about his brand. And I, again, showed him my past portfolio, told them my experience. And from that point, we, you know, we're about to finish up a series of videos. And so for me, a lot of the referrals that the help, what helps me keep in touch with my referrals and also build my referral system really is this, I have a, I have a CRM, of course. Um, and I don't want to, you know, tell people I have my friends on my CRM. So my potential, you know, referrals, I do have my on my CRM. And then my friends, the, the ones that have been, colleagues as well are in my phone book and i have actually a a notes in my um it's kind of nerdy but in my phone i have a notes of my my friends 
No, so, it's not nerdy at all. It's good business because if you have it in that CRM, they're reminding you to keep up and touch base, especially during mm -hmm. those times when it's busy. But those are those nurturing those relationships that you need to nurture over time so that you can continue having something in the pipeline. So I love thank you so much for sharing um, your systems, how you're trying to keep track of some of the referrals, but still making it genuine because, it's, yes. you know, yeah, I hear that more so. Um, so if anyone wants to learn more, reach out, refer you to some of these big, bigger kinds, bigger contracts, what's the best way that they can reach you? For sure. Um, they can reach me at Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L. That's Mitchell with one L at thecreativehaven.com. And you can also see my portfolio at thecreativehaven.com. So they can use that to pitch to whatever potential client there is out there. Well, Mitchell, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on, sharing with all of us. I know I have taken away some nuggets, so I'm sure it's going to help out a ton of other people as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you actually inviting me, um, Shanice, because you know we had a great conversation on my podcast and your questions today, uh, I, were, I wasn't really prepared for them. And I'm glad that we were able to talk about this because now it helps me think about my own journey and I hope it helps someone else's journey as well. So this has been an amazing episode of Do Less with me, Shanice Miller. Share this episode with anyone who needs this today. Leave a five-star rating and review. And remember, if you're an entrepreneur and you need to do less in your business, click the link in the description to work with me.